Welcome back to the Draft Season Podcast, brought to you by the Knicks Wall. As always, I am your host, Nick Carinanti, and with me again, Dean Gianu. Dean, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am good. I am happy to be here. We are really getting into the thick of things for the draft season. As we discussed last week, the lottery is gone. The Knicks are at 11. We also now have all of the results from the Combine to look at for measurements and pro days, empty gym videos, just every day we're getting more and more. So it's a, a fun time to be in the NBA draft. This has always, this has always been an exciting time, especially as a Knicks fan. Um, a lot of more, most of the years of my life, uh, this has not been a time that they were in the playoffs making a deep playoff run. So I um, always like to get excited about the draft and the off season. And honestly, Dean, with, with, how bad the playoffs have been in the lack of competitive games. I think even if you are a fan of, of a playoff team, you might have more fun watching Jaden Ivey against a chair. Yeah. Jaden Ivey at the, the CIA special event looks like fun. Yeah. And, and of course we're not going to talk too much about Jaden Ivey today, but as soon as the CAA was mentioned in a tweet with Jaden Ivey, Knicks fans were losing their mind. Yeah, naturally. Um, you know, I think I think the Knicks have only taken two CAA clients uh, with the six draft picks. I think that's the number since uh, Leon Rose took over. So um, I definitely think that there's merit to the idea that you know, they have more intel on CAA guys and maybe be more more likely to to sign CAA guys and and draft them. But in the case of Jaden Ivey, I think he's a an electric player, and I don't care who's representing him. I don't care if it's Kyrie's aunt. I would be very interested, very interested in trying to move up for him. Yeah, and, and pro days, we don't have to get into a lot. Pro days are so funny to me because they never really work on the players' weaknesses, nor should they, right? They are just going to to highlight the strengths, and especially when you have your your super athletes like Shannon Sharp or, or Jaden Ivey, it's just incredibly explosive dunks. But, boy, do they look good in a, in a little two-minute video package. Oh yeah, just the the sight of uh, Jaden Ivey throwing down one-handed power dunks. Uh, it would be so nice to have that at point guard. But we're here to talk about the bigs today, and we'll see where that goes. Yes, we are. So I'm going to open it up to you, Dean. I think there are two players in particular, but one of the more common mock drafts for the Knicks at 11 now is a big man, and most of these guys are writing that with the idea of losing Mitchell Robinson and replacing them with either Jalen Duran or Mark Williams. Where do you stand on the Knicks taking a big at 11? So I am strongly against the idea of the Knicks taking a big man at 11. I think that it is overly simplistic um, to think, we'll let Mitch walk because, you know, rim running, rim protecting big men are a dime a dozen, that prototype, and he's going to want more money than the Knicks should be willing to offer. And so we'll simply replace him with someone in the draft who you know fits the same kind of prototype. 
Um, and I've seen the most of Mark Williams of any of these bigs um, in the range. And I really like Mark Williams. I'm, I'm very into him as a player, but people need to understand that for all of Mitchell Robinson's flaws, for all of his flaws, he's really good. He's elite at offensive rebounding. He's a very good rim protector. You don't simply, you know, get someone else who you think fits the bill and they'll just deliver that same production as Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson led the league in block three pointers as a 20 year old rookie who didn't play in college. You know, he's a special player for whatever um, hangups you might have about his training regimen in the off season or, or his Instagram stories. In my opinion, if, if Mitch is allowed to walk because the price is too steep, I think that the, um, I think the move after that would be to play Obi Toppin at center alongside Julius Randle, try out, you know, some alignments other than just having that non-shooting defensive center at the five. Obviously, Tom Thibodeau is scoffing at the idea of this right now, but uh, that's just where I'm at. So you would say that your thoughts on taking a big at 11 are more because of your thoughts on Mitch, not because of these guys. Is that correct? Yeah, it's not because of these guys. And I have no doubt that they could find a serviceable big um, at 11. But I also have no doubt that they could find a serviceable big for like the biannual exception type of money in free agency. But you can find a guy like that. And I don't, you also have Jericho Sims. Yeah, you have Jericho Sims. And Jericho Sims is not, he's not Mitch. He's not, um, I, I wouldn't want to have him starting day one at the five next year. But I also don't think that there needs to be a center of that mold starting, you know, no questions asked. It doesn't need to be that way. It doesn't need to be Neurons Noel. Tom Thibodeau can try to get, you know, more creative with his defensive schemes. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. It does make sense, and I do see why the, the Knicks are mocked with a big, because knowing Tibbs, he's likely not going to get creative, right? Going small is, is not something that he has ever shown. And I guess it remains to be seen with Mitch, but I don't think anybody would surprise, be surprised if they do take a big at 11. So let's, let's talk about who those options are. Cause there's really only two guys. This is a, a weird big class. Um, if you're not counting Chet Holmgren as a true five or traditional big, there are two likely lottery centers. One is Jalen Duran from Memphis. The other is Mark Williams from Duke. Now, Duran came in with a ton of buzz as a really, really big-time recruit. He reclassified. He's really, really young. He went and almost definitely got the bag from Penny Hardaway at Memphis. Had a weird year, played without a point guard. His draft stock fell quite a bit. And then as Penny Hardway started to figure it out with the rotations in Memphis, Duran started to really shine, had some just monster games late in the season, had a decent to good showing against Chad Holmgren in the tournament, and is now firmly in like the top 10 range. I personally have him fifth on my big board. Wow. He always got the Dwight Howard comp physically. It's a, a little – 
hyperbolic, but I really see the ceiling as that level of, of dominance with the explosive athlete that he is. But now that so many guys are rising and your Jeremy Sohans and your Dyson Daniels are really jumping up the board, I think it's very possible you see Jalen Duran in the, the 11 12 range, which is why he's now being pretty readily mocked to the Knicks. The other option being if, if Duran goes above the Knicks, Mark Williams from Duke, who came back as a sophomore after a fairly disappointing freshman year at Duke. And in his sophomore season in Durham, along with obviously Paolo Mancaro and A.J. Griffin, Wendell Moore, he was arguably their best player in some of their biggest games of the season, including, including the game against Kentucky earlier, which was just an absolute, you know, uh, dynamic game with the biggest prospects and the best teams of college basketball. And Mark Williams was probably the most impactful game and sorry, the most impactful player in the, in the game. And those sort of games really helped and his stock just rise so much throughout the season. And now he's really in the, in the same tier as Duran and probably a lottery prospect. I don't think anyone would be shocked if he goes a little out of the lottery, but I don't think anybody would be shocked if he goes at 11 now to the Knicks or in that range. And from everything that's out there, it's those two and then everybody else in the big man class. So let's start with those two. Do you have any thoughts on Duran or Mark Williams? Well, I want to ask you, because I haven't seen that much of Duran. I, I, um, I watched the game against Chet Holmgren, and I think I was paying more attention to Chet, to be honest, to see how he dealt with that kind of physicality. And, and I was incredibly impressed by that. Now, Chet's not going to be obviously available when the Knicks are picking. Um, but I was incredibly impressed with the way that he would be overpowered physically and still, no matter what, he'd be there for the contest. He'd bother the shot and, and throw it off. Um, but Duran is, uh, he's expected to be able to, um, do more than just play in a drop. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So he's, he's got some foot speed and Mark Williams, he's, he's listed like seven, two, he'd be more of a drop guy, but a good one. And, and he does have some agility. Yeah. We'll talk about Mark Williams arguably had the, the best measurements in the combine. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but Duran is a little smaller than, than Mark Williams, right? He's six eleven compared to seven, two. Uh, he is just, He's one of the better athletes in the in the class. He is also the youngest prospect in the class because he reclassified and he is really young, still fairly raw, but also physically he's ready. He at 18, I believe 18 and a half, so very young, just NBA ready body from day one, just a real physical specimen get the Dwight comparisons because of you know, the, the strong shoulders, the explosive leaping ability. And I think he really can translate to the, to the modern NBA with, with the foot speed in particular, because you have the rim running, the vertical threat, the lob stuff, 
but I do think he will be able to to defend in space. I think he'll be able to create. The offense needs to come there, needs to get there, but he showed flashes of, you know, creating his own shot and and being a little able bit to, of passing too, right? The, and that's the big thing balance. for me is the the passing instincts that I I do really believe in. I think I've seen him compared to Bam in that way. Yeah. A little bit of ability to create from from the high uh, from the high post from the elbows. Um, yeah, I'm look. I'm intrigued by him, and um, I want to admit that, that you know my stance against taking a big. It has a lot to do with Obi Toppin. Um, I don't feel strong that Obi Toppin needs to play center, but I I don't have faith that the Knicks will find a creative way to move Julius Randle. So, or if that's even something that's on their radar, or something they want to do. So. I'm just a little like I would I would be very excited to take one of these two guys. And I think uh, Duran specifically, I'd be excited for him on the Knicks and I'd support him. Absolutely. Of course. Um, I just. I just don't know if it's the most the most prudent thing, not to hark back to you know whether or not I would want to take a big there. But you mentioned like, you know, um, maybe Duran will be gone and then Mark Williams would be the option at 11 to me if one of those guys is already gone, then that's, that just increases the likelihood of someone like Matherin or Johnny Davis um, or AJ Griffin being available. And those are the guys that I'm most interested in at 11 if they, if they stayed there. But um, I want to ask, how does Jalen Duran do from the free throw line? You know, because people are, are eager to replace Mitchell Robinson. And for me, if Mitchell Robinson shot 63% from the free throw line, I would be uh, even more loudly calling for him to be extended at a solid number at 13, 14 million a year. Um, but it's the complete lack of shooting touch that alarms me a bit with Mitch, even though I, I really do love him as a player. And also the, um, I don't know if this will continue to be the case, but I was not a fan from the moment that it became clear he was trying to put on weight, to put on muscle. I didn't think that that was something he needed. I think it's made him less, um, I think it's made him a less versatile defender. He can hold his own in, in the post now a little bit more, sure, but that would only come up like once in every 10 games that someone would try to take him down low in the post. So um, without he's not the same level of, of lob threat as he used to be, but then again, nobody's throwing him lobs. So that's part of the reason why I'm hoping for some uh, perimeter talent. Well, that's one of the things I want to talk about. For, to answer your question, Duran is a 63% free throw shooter Shot sixty percent from the field. That's the that's the fake number that I just used. If Mitch was sixty three percent, I'd be happier. So that's yeah. that's pretty apt. Um, Mark Williams this year shot seventy seventy two percent from the free throw line in comparison. Yeah, I always felt confident with Mark Williams going to the line. I really was a, a big fan of his. But Duran did shoot about four free throws a game, where Mark Williams shot just under two. Dur- Duran's explosion really draws to, you know, helps to draw him fouls. He's so hard to stop in that once he's going up. I think Duran also has some of the same issues with what you're saying with, with Mitch. One of the big problems for Duran as also just a young player that's trying to figure it out in college, he didn't really have a point guard at Memphis. And a player like him who is so good and so dangerous as a lob threat really needs, you know, he didn't get a lot of pick and roll opportunity. Didn't get some of that rim running lob finishing 
type of opportunity he should get. He would thrive at that. That's also not the Knicks' strength as a roster. Yeah, I mean, he'll, um, you know, if, if he's the starting center and uh, Tibbs continues to not start a, a passing point guard, if it's, if it's more Alec Burks or if it's another vet that comes in who's not uh, a gifted above average playmaker, I think that Duran is going to probably get a lob thrown to him from RJ Barrett on the first possession of the game and then maybe not sniff the ball for an entire quarter. So, um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts with that. I mean, if Jalen Duran was, was coming off the bench with Derek Rose and Emmanuel quickly, you know, he'll, I, I think that it would be very entertaining 13 minutes of playing time that he would get. Um, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my thoughts and my, my outlook on this draft has to do with Tom Thibodeau and that I have like 95% confidence that he wouldn't use whoever was drafted in the way that the fan base would like. Yeah. And I, I think that's obviously warranted. I think with Duran, I would highly recommend anybody listening to this right now to go look up his highlights against UTF. He finished with some sort of crazy, like 22, 21 type of game. 22 points, 21 rebounds. There were a lot of questions about Duran's motor. As a, a very young player in a, in a very messy system, uh, the Memphis thing just didn't work as well as anybody wanted with Emily Bates. And it, it was a mess there. And there were a lot of questions that followed Duran because of that. Watch the highlights from this UCF game where he is just – going a thousand percent at every rebound has some of the craziest like contested rebound angles that you can get in college basketball and putting them back up with dunks. He's hitting mid-range jumpers and watch that game. And I think anybody would be sold uh, on Duran from that game. He, he has it. And I, I believe in the motor. I know there were concerns, but I want to read a quote from uh, that Raphael Barlow from NBA big board said last week from a scout that he talked to at the combine. He said, if you can get Mark Williams and Jalen Duran in a workout together, I think Mark Williams would get the best of him and pass him up, but I doubt they'll work together. So Duran will likely go higher because he's younger. Although Williams was a McDonald's all American has not just come out of nowhere. He improved a lot as a sophomore and I think he'll continue to get better. It's really interesting. Cause I think that that opinion is becoming more prevalent now. I still have Duran again. I have Duran at five and Mark Williams. I believe I have at at thirteen on my big board. So I do have Duran as a a higher tier because I think the ceiling is much higher. I think Mark Williams is as safe was one of the safer bets in this draft class. You know exactly what he is going to be, and I think he is going to be a very, very, very good version of it. Whereas Duran, I do think has a little more all-star potential. And I think has shown flashes that can between the passing and, and the creation that can get you a little higher. And again, his age does matter. He is a full two years younger than Mark Williams. He is 18 and a half, whereas Mark Williams is 20 and a half. But Mark Williams is a physical specimen in a different way than, than Jalen Duran is. Jalen Duran is a physical specimen, again, with the Dwight Howard comparisons because of his explosion and leaping ability and just his strength within that. Mark Williams measured with a 9-9 standing reach at the combine. 
That's ridiculous. That is an all-time number. His wingspan is nearly seven seven seven. With depending on the measurement, like a seven seven one uh height. He is going to be what he is, but that is not a bad thing. Right? He is going to be an elite rim protector. The drop coverage is there. Uh one thing that having watched a lot of Duke this year is really noticeable with the way that he just impacts everything around the rim. Guys are are hesitant to go at him because of the because of the length, because of his shot blocking. You see a lot of guys end up taking floaters or really giving themselves hard angles on shots around the rim just because he's there. And I think that sort of defense is is valuable. Yeah, it definitely is. But I don't see the higher offensive ceiling that I, I think Darren has. I I don't see Williams as really anything more than a, a lob catching, you know, rim running big that will finish, you know, he'll rebound well and finish around the rim. He he shot a higher percentage from the floor than than Duran, basically because of that idea that he didn't do much independent creation. He shot seventy two percent on on seven a seven attempts from the game or a game where Duran again shot sixty percent on eight attempts, so comparable but different in the way that they they got the ball. Darren had to do a lot more for himself. Duke was the most talented team in college basketball. And because of that, Mark Williams didn't have to do a lot on his own. So I stand Darren over over Mark Williams, but I think both are going to be in the Knicks range. Most people have them, you know, in that probably I'd say for Darren, 7 to 12 range for Williams probably closer to 10 to 15. I know the Spurs at nine are a team to watch out for, for Dern in particular. But that's also, we never know on draft night. And like you said, I mean, if one guy goes, that means somebody else is still there. And if a big goes early, maybe if if Duran goes, let's say as early as five or whatever, let's say the Kings get weird and, and want to take them at four then maybe Mark Williams goes at nine and now they're both off the board. So two guys are left for the Knicks, but it's, it's interesting. So before we move on to the rest of the bigs in this class, do you have any final takes on, on Duran versus Mark Williams? Yeah. Um, I am, I'm intrigued by uh, Duran's um, like toolsiness, uh, his versatility. Um, I do want to mention that we, when we talk about, age with the draft prospects like you said he's 18 and a half and that's that's really intriguing but the last time that a player drafted by the knicks got a second contract um people always talk about the it's chris childs i don't know but um charlie ward sorry yeah i always confuse them charlie ward but it's really david lee david lee got a one-year deal um got a little bit above his qualifying offer uh, after his you know after his rookie deal expired and so we were worried about the age at, at draft time like, you know, history tells us there'll be 22 and a half when he's not re-signed by the Knicks. 
Um, and now I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, it's a different regime. I don't want to put that bad energy out there, but um, I think the Knicks need to be most worried about uh, just getting, getting a good player who can contribute, especially if Tom Thibodeau is going to be the coach next year. And, and maybe even, you know, after that, um, I am against that. If, if anyone's familiar with my, with my philosophies, but um, I think that Tibbs would be a good coach for those guys, even, uh, even if they wouldn't play so much right away, or maybe I, you know, I can, I can vividly picture us in the beginning of December, just apoplectic that Nerlens Noel is playing over one of these two guys. I'll put it that way. Yeah. That's, that's always the risk you run with the draft. And I think especially the risk you run with the draft when Tom Thibodeau is your coach. Uh, those are the only two that can be there at a, that realistically should be there at 11 for the Knicks. And I guess we'll see depending on there's so many variables. There's a lot of smoke on, on the Blazers maybe looking to move picks or, or the Kings at four. So everything is really a crapshoot right now up in, in that top 10, which will change who's available for the Knicks. I think both of those guys are good options if some of the wings that you mentioned are off the board. I want to quickly run through a couple of uh, of the other more traditional bigs before I talk about some of the the non-traditional bigs that the Knicks could could look at too. So I'm going to just – and have you heard of Ismail Kamagate? I think I've heard of him, but that's that's where it ends. I don't so know. He's a little older. He, he fits the same mold, and I'm not going to get too deep into him because we will do – I will talk about him in my international draft pass article coming out in a couple weeks, and we will bring on our international draft expert, Ignacio Risotto, as always, to – to go on some of the international prospects, but Kamagate is another one of these traditional rim running, rim protecting bigs, similar to to Mark Williams. I just want to mention him because it's possible that he is the third big off the off the board. But I'm not going to go too deep into him today. I want to talk more about Christian Coloco and Walker Kessler. Yeah, I've seen some of Coloco and, and was intrigued, but I, I do recall thinking that I wasn't sure uh, it would translate to the NBA. Sometimes guys at a lower level um, will have will have some ability that they can flash, but then you know once they get onto an NBA team, they're kind of put into a, a more um, just a, a more limited role than um, than maybe some people were hoping for. Yeah, and Coloco is an older prospect, uh, Christian Coloco out of Arizona. He's 22 years uh, old compared to we were talking about 20 and 18 for Mark Williams and uh, Jalen Duran, respectively. One of the reasons why he's likely a little further down. He played at Arizona, another loaded team, which makes it a little harder to determine, you know, individual valuations for prospects when. You're also looking at Dan Terry and Benedict Matherin creating so much space for him. And Arizona, if, if Duke wasn't the most talented team in college basketball, it was Arizona. Yeah. He also really enabled a lot with their defense. They had the best defense in college basketball, or one of the most fun defenses, I'd say. And a lot of that was based off of 
him. Now, it was all all drop coverage. He did not necessarily show a lot of ability to to switch or or guard in space. But another guy with really impressive measure measurements, six eleven, but a, a seven five and a quarter wingspan. You're not taking him to to be a lot, but he is going to be able to block shots. He is going to be able to to finish dunks. But the interior defense and and the post defense, I I think I was very impressed by by Coloco throughout the year. And similar in basically everything I said would be Auburn's Walker Kessler. Coloco was one of the better shot blockers in college basketball. He really showed elite help defense. And again, the the drop defense made everything kind of possible for Arizona. Walker Kessler had a historic shot blocking season. He blocked nearly five shots a game at Auburn and set historic numbers, was really on the list with just Anthony Davis for most of how he impacted defenses. Did you get a chance to watch much of uh, Walker Kessler or Christian Coloco? I've seen Coloco play. I have not seen Walker Kessler play. By my own admission, I want I want everyone to know that I do not watch very much college basketball. Um, you know, my my role here is really to talk more about what I think the Knicks need positionally. Um, I feel like I've put my foot in my mouth a couple of times talking about these prospects. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm more I'm more of a big picture. More of a big picture guy. I've I've not seen uh, Walker Kessler play. Walker Kessler's really interesting. He was a really big prospect coming out of high school, big time recruit, went to North Carolina, and it was just an absolute disaster. Did not do anything at, at North Carolina. It was a bad fit. Didn't get as much playing time or emphasis offensively as he wanted or his dad wanted for him in Roy Williams last season. It was it was just a bad bad situation for him and he transferred to Auburn and went to go play with Jabari Smith where they became a a one seed and it was what he wanted now it showed some of the strengths again obviously with Jabari Smith and, and Walker Kessler Auburn had quite a bit of length Walker Kessler's seven one with a similar like seven foot five wingspan it's all very impressive measurables. He projects to be this, or he thinks he is this uh, stretch five, three-point shooting, rim-protecting big in a Chet Holmgren-y type of way. But ultimately, he shot, shot he shot 20% this, this so season not. on a one-and-a-half attempts a game from three. Only shot 59% from the free-throw line. I've watched quite a bit of, of Walker Kessler specifically, you know, his first year at North Carolina, but I'm going to throw some of that out. And then looking at Auburn this year, I don't think there's much that would make me think he will be a, a legitimate shooter at the NBA level. I think he will try to be for better or worse. Knicks fans who are well, well, ready to let Mitchell Robinson walk, you know, for all of his flaws should probably be wary of a 50 something percent free throw shooter who fancies himself as a stretch big. If you watch Walker, Walker Kessler was a big time recruit, like a, a really, really legitimate, you know, 
Mr. Basketball in Georgia, big time type of player. And he did come in as a shooter, theoretically, right? When he was committed to North Carolina, they were going to look at him as a stretch five type of role. Except then he shot 25 and 20% in those two years. And it's just hasn't been there at college level. Doesn't really make me think that it will be at the NBA level. But that is one of the things that he would want to be at the NBA level. He is also not the, the athlete that some of these other prospects are. I, I struggle with him. I'm, I try not to put too much of, of too much stock into small sample sizes or NCAA tournament performances. But I want to read to you his box score against Miami. If you remember... Miami as a 10 seed beat Auburn by about 20 in the yeah. tournament in the second round as a 10 over a two seed. And in that game, Walker Kessler played 13 minutes, shot 0 of 6 from the field with two points, two rebounds, and two fouls. It's not great. And Miami went small. And what really concerned me from a, a, a prospect evaluation standpoint for Walker Kessler in that game was that when Miami went small, they completely neutralized Walker Kessler's defense and rim protecting, right? Because he couldn't just hang out in the paint. He also wasn't able to take advantage of them going small on the other end. Where you would hope a, a legit first round big prospect would be able to eat up a, a college team going small on them. And again, O of six from the field, that game was just completely invisible. And that, that has stuck with me that game, but outside of that game, there are also those sort of performances throughout the year for Walker Kessler, whether it's foul trouble or just that inability to impact certain matchups and, and specifically Team's going small. So Kessler scares me. Uh, I think Coloco's a little safer. I know one of the things that people have talked about with Coloco is that at the combine, he shot 16 of 25 on the star drill for three-point shooting. I don't know if that is something that is relevant or if that's closer to Mitchell Robinson shooting in an empty gym. But Coloco has talked about, you know, modern bigs needing this to be able to shoot. I don't necessarily want to spend too much time talking about a guy who averaged 0.1 attempts his whole career from three. But I will say Coloco, who played for three years at Arizona, shot 35% from the free throw line as a freshman, 62% as a sophomore, and nearly 74% as a junior. It's a meteoric rise. The quantum yeah. leap. It really is exponential growth there. And all of his numbers did that, right? He, went, he didn't play a ton as a freshman, played a lot as a – played a good amount as a sophomore and then was one of their key players as a junior. And his, his blocks, rebounds, and points numbers all, all show that sort of growth. So even though he is a little older, I think there's some – 
some benefit for that. He is uh, from the Cameroon originally and has one of those sort of uh, more unique pathways to, to getting to college basketball. Well, the Cameroon has a good track record in the league with Joel Embiid and Pascal Siakam. So, yeah, I didn't want to be the one to mention them, but it is hard to ignore that, right? Yeah. But when you're looking at the Knicks, whether it's any of those three between Kamigate, Kessler, and Coloco, they're probably late first, early second type prospects. We've seen Leon Rose be really, really aggressive in his time with the Knicks. I don't necessarily think they'll just draft at 11 and 42 based off of the last two years. But would one of those two guys be worth one of those three guys be worth trading up to take at 26 or 27? I'm not sure. What do you think? I don't think so. And I've seen uh, some people say, well, why take a big at 11 when we can take Coloco in the second round? I've seen that take from a lot of different people um, on Twitter. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of skilled, intriguing bigs um, that come out every year. You know, if you watch the G League, there are guys who are 6'10 to 7 feet tall who can do some things um, that you would think would translate, but with, with true fives who are, who can't slide down to the four who are going to play center. um, You need them to be elite in a couple of areas, in my opinion, or else, you know, you have other directions you can go. You do not need to play, um, you know, to play a pure five. And so I'm, I'm, I'm mostly focused on Duran and Mark Williams, as you said, from the start, you know, you, I, you know, I trust, I trust your evaluations. If you have Duran fifth on your board and he's just sitting there at 11, it's a good value proposition. Um, if you, if you are a Knicks fan kind of like, like us and um, have watched the last couple of drafts, you know that there's a very good chance that uh, it'll say New York Knicks are on the clock and then you'll get a Woj bomb notification that they have moved down to the 15th pick um, for some future assets. So in a, in a situation where the Knicks moved down a few spots from 11, at that point, I'd be really uh, enthused about Mark Williams. Um, but aside from that, I don't know about uh, using a draft pick on a big. And, you know, those th- those other guys that you talked about, Walker Kessler, uh, specifically Coloco, you know, they have some intriguing stuff going on. But especially, once again, in, in a world where Tibbs is the coach, I don't know if they're going to be able to get on the floor. And uh, I just I just don't know if I see it. No, no I just want to talk quickly about three guys and I'm not going to go too deep on any of them that would be more of the the options at 42 or even potentially undrafted free agents because I think you're right and I don't see Coloco there at 42 I would be shocked if he was I would love it mm-hmm. but I, I think he's more in the 25 to 35 range and I don't know if he's worth trading up for to take that kind of player I think there are a couple of intriguing bigs that are more second round picks. Jalen Williams from Arkansas uh, announced yesterday he was staying in the draft. He may end up late first as well. He's one of the these high IQ, really heady players. He led college basketball in, in charges taken. Just one of these elite positional defenders, just knowing where to be all the time. More so than 
one of these guys with, with the elite physical tools, which I think is always a smart bet for a second round pick of just taking the smart player. No, like a Xavier Tillman type. Right. That, that kind of range. Uh, he is more of like, a, uh, you know, he's got a elite feel for the game offensively. He's a good passer, more of a face up player than a rim running big. Uh, so very different than some of the other guys we named, but someone that I would like at 42 a little more, let's say if they get Matherin at, at 11. Mm-hmm. Travion Williams from Purdue is another name uh, similar. Travion Williams, I think you could make a case as one of the better passers in this class, which is wild to say about a, a 6'11 big that's going in the second round. But... Williams was a little slow. He was, you know, weight about 260 and at Purdue. I know I've heard rumblings that he's lost a little weight. But one of these bigs that has just made some mind-blowing outlet passes, will throw the behind-the-back, you know, pass to a cutter. Just beautiful, beautiful vision at, at that size is something I'm willing to bet on in the second round. So those are guys that I do like late. Orlando Robinson from, from Fresno State is someone I've watched a lot as a Mountain West guy uh, who is more of a shooting big at 11. He doesn't really have elite athleticism, but he is a, a really good shooter with, with good size and strength, which is another thing that, you know, late in the second, I, I don't mind. Bet, betting on but those are guys that that I think I'm going to all write more on later as we get closer about the potential second round options those are they're not safer because those guys may not be legitimate NBA players but I like the the upside for them compared to to trading up to take Walker Kessler at 28 or, or whatever that would look like yeah right and they're also players that the Knicks could take with a different coach as than Thibodeau that I would like in the small ball five type role. And I just want to ask you one, one more philosophical question. Cause I know you talked about not wanting to replace Mitchell Robinson. And we do like the idea of Obi Toppin at, at the five. How would you feel about one of these uh, bigger fours say, Jeremy Sohan or EJ Liddell, whether it's at 11 or trading down a little bit to, to take later in the, the first, mid first, that are more your uh, small ball five type roles. Yeah. So like not, not an evaluation of them as players, but I think that's the position that the Knicks need the least as, as a four who maybe can see some time at the five. Um, you know, I, I think, first of all, Obi Toppin is, is only viewed as a four who maybe can play the five, but maybe not because of who his coach is. I mean, he's he's got some size. He's got some length. He's not he's not bad, um, you know, defending at the rim, protecting the rim here and there. So um, I think that like, you know, tips puts people in really uh, except for Alec Burks, who, you know, he thinks can play every single position. That's his Swiss Army knife. Um, he, he has really defined roles for guys. So I think if a guy doesn't come in. 6'10 or above, and just you know, incredibly strong. Um, I don't think that they're they're gonna be getting those center minutes. I think that 
I think that I think that a stretch four that the Knicks took, or uh, any kind of four that the Knicks took, if they still had Randall and Obi Toppin, would get the same amount of opportunities as Luka Samanich got this year, which is to say zero minutes played. As far as I know, I don't think he ever got on the court. So um, I think that if it's I, I you know I'm, I'm all about the guards or wings, you know, like we said, there's a couple centers that seem like maybe a, a nice value proposition at 11 or in that range. But yeah, I don't, I don't think taking a, a project type of, you know, intriguing for, you know, with the roster as it is would make too much sense. I think it's interesting. I wrote about Jeremy Sohan for the site this week and please feel free to read the, that. This can be a shameless plug for me. You read my piece, you know where I stand on Jeremy Sohan. I think that guy is just a, uh, absolute elite value pick wherever he is i think the 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 effort and the the tools and i think he's really got an incredibly high ceiling for defensive impact i hate draymond green comparisons with with all my heart and he he seems to keep getting them because of the passing mixed with the the defense so i I wrote this piece and i think most of the response was just like what you said like he can't fit on the roster which I think is interesting because depending on what happens, I could see it. I think he's, I'm not saying they should, cause I think you're right. I don't think he sees the, the floor, especially as a rookie, but I wouldn't write that off to EJ Liddell. Another guy I like a lot that is a four with elite rim protection and great length to defend at the rim. But this roster is just, this is a very restricted roster and it, it doesn't lend itself to a, a lot of flexibility with, within the draft. And I, and I love Sohan, but I, I can't imagine being happy if the Knicks take him for either him or for the Knicks. You know, in a, in a world where, in a world where Julius Randall is, is moved on draft night, let's say everything opens up. There's more possibility of Cam Reddish playing the four or RJ Barrett playing the four um, or Obi getting more minutes, or Obi playing the five. It's um, and I'm sure I would get criticism for that. A lot of there's some people at, at the Knicks wall who think I'm I'm way too eager to move on from Julius Randle. But that's that's part of my issue with Randle is that it doesn't seem he doesn't seem happy unless he's playing a ball dominant role at power forward. And uh, something that I think is under um, underappreciated is that. He can't play center. I don't think Julius Randle can play center. He doesn't contest shots at the rim. He just doesn't. I'll never forget a couple of years back when like a, a whole month went by and Bobby Portis and Julius Randle had combined for like two blocks. Um, so I just don't think of Julius Randle as someone who can do anything other than, you know, create from the power forward spot. And uh, I think the rest of the roster is, is a lot more versatile than that. Um, so I am all in on, on going younger more versatile, more, uh, more wings who can play several positions. And, uh, and yeah, um, it's, it's pretty rigid right now. I mean, if the, you know, last year it's, it had been a problem, you know, forever that the Knicks had the most roster turnover in the NBA, but from two years ago to last year, the Knicks brought back like, like 12 of the 15 same players. And I anticipate that it will be a pretty similar story next year. So um, that's, I think that's why I'm, I'm hoping for someone who can come in right away and, and get those minutes. And even in, in that situation, the Knicks would have to move on from a Burks, maybe Derek Rose, Evan Fournier, 
know, some of these vets have to move out if someone the Knicks drafts is going to get an actual chance this year. Because then we also have you have Deuce McBride on the roster who's who's not getting a chance. You have Cam Reddish who's not getting much of a chance. So the, the some house cleaning needs to be done. Yeah, and that's going to be very interesting in the the lead up to the draft. We are just about you know just under a month away, about three weeks away from the draft at this point. What happens with the rest of this roster will massively impact what the Knicks can and should do. And we will just be watching it with bated breath, checking every rumor and and report on, on the Knicks between now and then. Dean, thanks for, for coming on as always. It's it's been a pleasure talking about this class, and we will be back next week. Thanks for tuning in. Dean, anything you want to plug? No, just uh, you know, thankful that you had me on and uh, you know, excited to see how this plays out. All right. We will see you next time.